our series called Service Engine Soon, and what we've been talking about is the fact that in life, there's all sorts of warning lights. I mean, you got your computer can tell you you need to update something. You got all these different things talking to you saying, you know, change this, watch out for this. Uh, you might be infected with a virus or whatever. And uh, our bodies have a, a warning system. Uh, sometimes we'll feel a little twinge in our back and we're thinking, oh, I can still keep working, you know, and it's like, eh. you know, our, our teeth, if something begins to hurt, we, we, we ignore it and chew on the other side when in fact we should go right to the uh, dentist and get that taken care of. In life, there's all these kinds of warning lights that w- where there's a little bit of an indication that something might be wrong, okay? Our soul has the same warning light, the same check engine soon. If you're, if you're not a follower of God, if you're just trying to figure it out, you might have called it your conscience or whatever, but just this sense in your spirit, I guess, if you want to use kind of spiritual terminology, you go, you know what, there's a pattern in my life that I, I can kind of see that this is a, a problem. But maybe it's something that if you're, if you're alone with yourself and you're honest with yourself, you go, mm, I'm starting to think a certain way that I really shouldn't think anymore. Or maybe you have someone tell you that. Maybe your warning light is a spouse that comes up and says, you know, I've noticed you're working way too much or you're, you seem depressed or you seem angry or you didn't, used to, you didn't used to act like that and now you're acting like that. And all of a sudden there's something in all of us, this check engine soon, this service engine soon light that goes, you better deal with this. And so we can't ignore it. We, we can't just sweep it under the rug and uh, like in my car, when I see that service engine soon light, I just want to put black masking tape over it and pretend it's not there. But if we do, we understand it's going to get worse as it goes along. Maybe there's a habit in your life that is just beginning to take a hold and all of a sudden you just start thinking to yourself, man, if I, if I keep this going, I can kind of see where I'm going to end up. And so that's what this series has been all about. And what we've been talking about, the first thing we talked about is getting an accurate diagnosis, right? There's something going on. You got want to know what it is. You don't want to misdiagnose the problem because then all the effort you go into fixing it is wrong. And this happens all the time in our lives where we think it's one thing, but in fact, it's really something else. And we're going to look a little bit today about that. But to get an accurate diagnosis. And then the second thing we talked about is bringing it to someone who knows how to fix the problem. And so the first week was about those two things, and we went over a a, a section of scripture that I encourage you guys to memorize, uh, just if you want to go over it again, it's Proverbs 1, 32 and 33, and we can just as a church just kind of say this together, for the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. And that's what this whole series has been about. Last week we talked about show me the car facts and we were talking about our past and our history and how things show up on there that we wish wouldn't show up, you know? Things that we wish we could forget, maybe times, maybe a a spring break or a party or a relationship or a, a business deal or whatever where we look back and we go oh I wish that wouldn't show up and we feel like and we feel like sometimes we can't let ourselves get over that and we every time we look down we think oh I wish I hadn't done that and we talked about how Jesus on the cross paid that price and gave us what we call a clean title. No salvage areas at all, just a clean title that we can go, yeah, this is my worth in Christ, and we talked about that. So this week, 
um, what we're going to talk about is fixing the problem. You know, once the check engine light comes on and we've, we can accurately diagnose it and we can get people around us to do it and we, we know that we're worth fixing and all this kind of stuff, how, how do we do that? And what I wanted to talk about this morning is probably the biggest check engine light in your life. See, when the service engine soon light comes on, we don't know what the underlying issue is. Now, sometimes there are lights specific to that. You know, your oil light comes on and we're all geniuses. That would have something to do with the oil. Uh, and there's other, you know, battery light, so something with your electrical system, whatever. But that service engine soon is just a generic light. You don't know what's happening. And quite frankly, as we looked the first week, we probably wouldn't know even if someone told us, you know, it's the flux capacitor. And we're like, I don't even know what that is. I, you know, well, whatever. You put a banana in the... <laughs> anyway, so, 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 right? So, I mean, you have all these things. We don't understand what's going on. The main service engine soon light that you will have come up in your life is anxiety, worry. Now, here's the thing. We often think of worry as the issue. I worry too much. I have too much anxiety. Then that becomes the issue we try to stop. And we we do whatever we can to stop the anxiety. Sometimes we'll mask our worry with a substance And we'll begin to go, I just got to get rid of that feeling of anxiety, that feeling of stress, that feeling of helplessness. And so so we'll begin to start taking a substance or we get into a habit of something that makes us feel good that we know maybe it's a a food issue or something that just kind of like makes us, that fires those endorphins and kind of makes us feel good for the moment. But then the worry never goes away because the worry is a service engine light that there's something else deeper in the surface. And when we think about our lives, it seems to us that worry seems like a natural, normal, practical response. As a matter of fact, for some of us, myself included, sometimes we think worrying equals caring. Like, Like if I worry a lot, then I care a lot. If I worry about my kids, that means I love them. If I worry about my marriage, it means I really love my marriage. If, I, if, I, if I'm worried, it means I care. Because if I don't worry, someone's got to worry, right? And sometimes we look around and we see an issue where, you know, maybe it's in our kids and we think, man, I'm so worried about that, but they don't seem to worry at all. I'm worried, like, are they going to get a job? And they're like, not even trying to get a job. You're like, don't you know you should be worried? I mean, listen, although it seems weird, couldn't you or haven't you heard that coming out of your mouth? You should be really worried about this. Because for us, worry equals caring. Worry equals we're concerned about it. And so we're worried and we're anxious. And, and there's something in our gut. And so we think about retirement and we think, oh, man, the economy. I'm worried about the economy. And I'm worried about the Dow Jones. And I'm worried about terrorism. And I'm worried about my marriage. And I'm worried about my neighbor. I'm worried about my mom and dad are getting older and things are beginning to be diagnosed and all all this kind of stuff. And even as I mentioned some of those things, for some of you, you felt that in your stomach. Like right when I said retirement, you're like, oh, I forgot about retirement. (laughs) And there's just that sense. Because it feels natural and it feels normal and it feels like we're actually working if we're worried. Well, worry doesn't equal concern and it doesn't equal work. Worry is something that the Bible talks about and that we're going to talk about this morning. And worrying doesn't stop worry, you know, like there's kind of a weird thing where you think, well, you know, 
if I, if I, if I keep processing over and over again that somehow I'll feel better. And we all know, even if you don't even believe in the Bible, we know that worrying can be extremely destructive. Lots of issues internally in our own bodies are the result of worry. We have ulcers, we get we lack of sleep, things like that. We, scientists know that if you worry, uh, your life expectancy decreases. It shortens. And we, we all know that, but it's like, okay, how do you stop worrying? I mean, that's like me saying, hey, you know, it's, what is it? It's getting to 11.30 right now, so we're getting into lunchtime, and I know what it's like. I, I've passed notes back there. Where do you want to go to lunch after the sermon? I, trust me, I've been there. But if I were to just say, don't be hungry. Okay, thanks. I won't be hungry. I'm hungry. I can't stop it. So if I were to tell you, just don't worry. It's okay, don't worry. Don't worry about it. It doesn't, and if I say everything's going to be okay, that doesn't make sense either. Like, no, everything's not going to be okay. I I just got, I mean, the doctor signed it. I have X. It's not going to be okay. And so there's something in us that if we could get rid of the worry, we would. And so, like I said, we try to mask it. We try to pretend it's not there. We try to talk talk it out with people to keep going over the issue again and again and again and again because we think somehow that's going to get rid of it. Well, what I want to do this morning is look at a section of Scripture, a very famous section of Scripture that goes over this very thing. And what I think it's going to do is give us some insights on how, when this service engine light comes in, how do we fix it? And what does it mean to be anxious or to worry in our lives? Okay? It's found in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. And right off the bat... Paul is going to tell, the Apostle Paul is writing this to the church in Philippi, and he's going to come right off the bat, you're going to get the sense that this is unlike a a normal guy wouldn't be writing this. I mean, he's taking a completely different approach. He says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I, I, I mark this out in yellow or in bold or whatever, this phrase, in the Lord. And let me tell you, you don't have to be a pastor to read the sentence and go, well, that's pretty much the qualifier, isn't it? Like, does it say rejoice in every situation? Yeah, I got a pink slip. Yes. Awesome. I came home and the locks were changed and there was a, my bags were running. Yeah rejoicing yeah you're on the freeway and you know your car breaks down the middle and you're like Whoa! you know people are like man what's wrong with this guy <laughs> see right off the bat paul is focusing our attention in the lord rejoice in the lord always and then he says this i am playing i'm dead serious about this i'll say it again Rejoice, because Paul is writing to answer exactly like you'd say. If I just came in and you told me about your marriage or your relationships with someone else or your your retirement or your house or whatever, and I said, rejoice in the Lord always, you'd go, dude, that that doesn't help me one bit. Well, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Oh, okay. Now that you said it twice, it means a lot, right? I mean, but this is where Paul's coming from. Because here's the thing you have to understand. Paul's coming from a perspective of someone who is practicing this very thing. So this isn't just a suggestion for us. He won the lottery. We don't have to worry about him, you know, but he's just giving bad advice. He's living this out right now. 
Paul's writing to Paul. Paul's in jail right now. And he's just saying, man, if you ever find yourself in jail, look, let me tell you, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I, I say rejoice. Well, what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, he, the next uh, verse kind of gives a, um, some insight into that. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. In other words, this idea of being able to rejoice in the Lord, this idea of being able to connect with God in, in, in these different situations will change you. There will be a, a gentleness about you that will be evident to everybody. Have you ever met those people where they lose a job or something happens and they just seem so calm? And you're like, wow, how do you do that? And they're like, oh, you know, I take drugs. No. Right? Oh, I'm really good at masking it. No, you can tell there's something else going on. Well, they've identified with this very next se a sentence. The Lord is near. Do you know the Lord is near you right now? He is right here in this room. He's speaking to you, not necessarily through me, but through his word or through things that he brings to remembrance or even as we talk about things that stress us out or keep, God is here, he's near you. At a time in my life, uh, several decades ago, no, two, several, whatever two is, dose, okay? Uh, dose decades ago, okay? Um, this particular part of my spirituality needed to be developed. I assumed that God, my relationship with God hinged on what I knew about the Bible and how, I, how well I was able to argue my case and how learned I was and how I could go through each little thing and point out a little thing, not to myself, to everyone else, mind you. It's a spiritual gift, okay? <laughs> like sarcasm, it's kind of the same one and they, they go hand in hand. But, but this idea that I be began to realize, you, you know what? I think I need to practice more of the presence of God rather than the ordinance of God. That God is truly right next to me. And so I, I've shared this before, but I, I had a briefcase that I'd take to work and I'd, I'd put the briefcase in the passenger seat and then when I'd drive to work, I'd take the briefcase out of the passenger seat and put it in the back and then I'd invite Jesus to commute with me, um, and uh, it was before Bluetooth, so people thought I was insane because I was talking to nobody. I'm just in my car driving along, and, and Jesus learned some different words about traffic and stuff like that, but anyway, my point, my point is this, that I had Jesus going with me, and, uh, and, but, but that, just that practice of the Lord is near. He's, he's right there. He's right there. He's right next to me. Now, listen, here, here's the thing. As we enter into these situations that, that bring us anxious, what Paul's saying is, like, what, what I want you to do is I want you to get this concept that the, Lord, that the Lord has an insight into all of this. He's got an insight into this situation. He knows about these different things. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm not playing. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He's right there. Now, it's with that kind of concept and that outlook or lens that we go to this next verse that is very, very famous. 
And when you begin to read this verse, it almost sounds like the things I was joking about. Like, oh, just don't be hungry. You know, and you're like, how do I not be hungry? How, like, how does that happen? It's the same type of thing where it just sounds like kind of a, a trite um, statement that he uses. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Nothing. Like, like that doesn't even make sense. Like, not, like, because when you've been around long enough or you're around as many people as we are between this and first service and all that kind of stuff, you start to hear stories. And there are some stories out there where you're thinking, well, <laughs> right, do, be anxious for, for nothing. Do not be anxious about anything except that thing you're going through because that, that's, a, that's a big one. But this is how Paul kind of starts out. And again, if you just... Put that on your bumper sticker, or you just emailed that to somebody without the f- two verses before it, it doesn't make any sense to just say, don't be anxious about anything. Stop it. Knock it off. I mean, isn't that great counsel? Don't do that, you know? Like, now I'm anxious about you. You know, you're making me uncomfortable. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be evident to all. The Lord is near. He's right here. And because he's right here, do not be anxious about anything. Okay, so that's, that's where he kind of is going with that. Because anxiety, at the core of anxiety, is really one question. And, and you, as you begin to go into this week, and the Holy Spirit begins to kind of bring this back to your mind. Like, are you being anxious right now? Are you worried right now? What's going on? Is the check engine light on? As you begin to think that this question is going to pop up in your mind and you might even verbalize it to some people. What if? What if? What if, what if she doesn't come back? What, what if? What if my boss never looks, you know, gets, gives me the um, recognition that I deserve? What if the company goes bankrupt? What if this pain in my back, this lump, turns out to be? What if I, I get to the end of my life and I, I can't retire? What if, what if she leaves or he leaves? Or what if we can never fix this? Or what if when that test comes back, it says at the bottom of the page what I feared most? What, what if? What if my kids don't end up fulfilling everything that we've poured into them and the hopes we have for them and what if they make a mistake or what if and it, it, that is kind of the fuel what if is like the fuel of worry that keeps coming up over and over again what if God says the Lord is near be anxious about nothing now watch he goes on because that's again if I could just get a little more information that would help me to not be uh, to, to kind of get through that he says but in every situation, every situation, every situation, the one that when I t- talk about the topic and it makes your stomach start to thing, like, like am I going to, are we going to have to sell the house, like all that, uh, in that situation, in the situation where you're thinking about your kids and maybe they're making uh, bad decisions or whatever, or they're starting to step out into a certain path and you go, oh man, what, that situation, but if, what if we lose the job in that situation? In every situation. It, now what I love about this is what, watch what he's saying. In 
every situation. In other words, the situation doesn't have to be resolved before you can stop worrying about it. That is incredibly encouraging to me. We don't just go, la, 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 my marriage is fine, or, oh, you know what, our finances are great, who cares, you know? Ring up another thing on the credit card. No, you're in it. And that's why it says rejoice in the Lord, not in your situation, not stoked about the situation. You're rejoicing in the Lord. And so we are anxious about, you're not anxious about anything, but in every situation, and then here's one of the qualifiers, and here's another kind of piece of advice that's like, Paul, come on, dude. So he says this, but by prayer and petition. So now, here comes another piece of useless advice. You know, don't worry about it. Pray about it. You know, I don't, I don't know if you, you've ever done that to somebody. Where you're just like, well, have you prayed about it? And you're like, I'm going to pray about not hitting you right now. <laughs> like, yeah, we've been praying about it. I mean, that's all we've been doing. My small group's been praying about it. I've been praying about it. My wife has been praying about it. Everyone's been praying about it. What, like, and the thing is, we start to start to get an idea that maybe Paul, maybe prayer, the act of prayer is not the solution. Did you pray about it? Yes, I did. Up, oh, anxiety gone. Because see, Paul uses two words and then he uses another one that's really important that we're going to look at in a second. Prayer and petition. With a petition, there's a sense that there's been an injustice. There's something that needs to change. When we, I don't know if you've ever signed a petition or not, but we, we don't, we have, we don't, in our particular church, it's one of the policies is we don't have petitions going around. It's just, it's just one of our policies. But you've all signed one. If you've ever walked out of a Trader Joe's, there's some petition to sign, you know, something in there. And the whole idea is there's something that needs to change. And we've got to go to the people that can change it with all the signatures so they can see we're serious about this. This is really a problem. This is how we begin to approach our Heavenly Father. This is, there's an issue here. And we all kind of, all the people I've talked to, every, the, you can see, and this is how we go before God. And you think, well, John, that's just prayer. I mean, that, that's just what we do all the time. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every single situation you face, by prayer and this petitioning, this idea that God, what are you doing? And here's the next one. And this is the one that gets me all the time. With Thanksgiving. See, oftentimes, I, I, the prayer and the petition part, I feel like if I do it hard enough or like the right way or with enough people, God's going to do something. But here's my question for you that we're going to explore in the next few verses. Do you trust God to not do something? Do you trust him to not do something, to not fix it? What if it never changes? Well, that's a little harder. And that begins to now think about prayer in a totally different way. See, we want to pray the right way and fervently and be like the one who went to the righteous judge and she kept bugging him and bugging him and bugging him and finally he goes, all right, I'll give you what you want. And Jesus makes this confusing statement. Like, that's like your heavenly father. You're like, no, it's not. You know, it's, it's like going through this whole thing. But there's something that happens when we begin to go before God with the attitude of thanksgiving. I'll give you an example. One of the things I pray about often is the ministry here at Living Spring. So I'll, I'll begin to pray. And I, I, 
there's just lots of areas of the church that are just on my mind a lot. And so I bring a lot of them to the Lord. And almost always, I'm, I'm a little anxious about whatever it is. I, it's, it's a big deal to me. I, I, it's a big deal. The church is a big deal to me. Every aspect of it is a really big deal to me. And so I struggle with this idea of not being anxious about anything. I really, it's one of my key weaknesses is I, I tend to worry. My, strength, my number one strength, if you do strength finders, is responsibility. So I take responsibility for everything. So your strength becomes your weakness, right? And so, so that's my thing. And so, so I go before God. I'm like, God, yeah, you got to do, do something. I mean, come on. You know, we got this campaign and the tiles and this thing and the kids ministry and all blah, 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 blah. But if I stop... And I go, Lord, I want to thank you for Living Spring. I want to thank you for the people in Living Spring. I want to thank you that there's no controversy right now. I want to thank you that my emails don't come in with people complaining about stuff that would drive me crazy. I want to thank you that I love our staff and they love the church and that we don't have drama staff meetings. Man, oh, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for our board where we all get along, and I, I'm going to, a, from this service, I'm going to a board meeting, and I'm excited about it. I'm happy to go to a board meeting. We laugh and have fun. Man, thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you that we're not in financial crisis, and we're going to close the doors down. Thank you we can make payroll. Thank you for just the awesome, that there's no strife within the body, that there's no camps, there's no clicks, there's no, man, okay, now, listen, what was I anxious about again? <laughs> like, not that those things aren't important, but worrying does not equal caring. I can still care about those things and not worry about them. But you see, all of a sudden, how Paul kind of gets in to the middle of it and goes, oh, and by the way, the prayer thing and the petition thing, the stuff, that, uh, that all needs to be done with thanksgiving. How does that look in your retirement with that thing where you're like, oh, no, how am I going to retire? Oh, man. Okay, God. All right, thank you that I know a lot of people who, you know, are having a, you know, they're actually still living. They didn't die. Okay, good. Good, we'll start there. Lord, thank you that I've got food on my table tonight. I might not have it tomorrow night, but I got it. Thank you for that. And I, you know, now I think about it, I had it the night before, and okay, all right, I got, I opened the pantry, I've got three days of food. Thank you, Lord. Now, it doesn't stop, it doesn't fix any of our situations, does it? But isn't it the right perspective? Doesn't that help? Instead of going, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And we go to that thing that helps us cope. Instead of that, we go to Thanksgiving and say, God, thank you for all that you've done. With Thanksgiving. It's the key. Now, what, watch what he does. Present your request to God. Well, that's kind of the same thing as prayer and petition. You present your request to God. Doesn't he know it? I mean, doesn't the Bible say that God knows what you're going to pray before you even pray it? I mean, why even pray? You're just like, God, remember everything I was going to pray for? I'm going to watch television now, all right? Right, what is, what is that? Presenting is laying bare your request. Now listen, this particular part is more about you and I than it is about the situation. And it goes like this. 
God, I am really, really concerned about my kids. I'm really nervous that they're, I want them to find the right mate. And I, I want, I, I have all this stuff for my kids. God, I, 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 I want this for my kids. I, this situation, you know, I, I want this done. And, it, and it's like bringing it to God. It's like taking that automobile into the, the garage and saying, I need this fixed. And the guy, you drive it up and they put it on one of those racks, right? And it goes, you know, up. And what does he do? He looks underneath the surface to try and see if he can figure out what the problem is. And oftentimes the thing that we think is the problem really isn't the problem. And that's why I was saying worry is just a check engine light for some other issue in our lives. So let's use my example again since we're talking about me. It's all about me, right? So one of the things that I love, I love growing churches. I love happy, vibrant churches with lots of people in them and lots of singing and people coming to Christ and all this kind of stuff. Easter, when we had 15 people make decisions, that stuff, that'll keep me going for weeks, okay? But then I get anxious and I start thinking, man, Lord, you know, I... I'll pick a number. You know, I'd really like the church to be, you know, you know, ding, ding, ding. Yeah, that's a good number for the church. And I'll start to get anxious about, you know, I wonder if we should do an ad campaign or I wonder if we should do this or I wonder if we should I start getting anxious about the church and the people and how many people and all this kind of stuff. And it's for his kingdom. I say, Lord, I'm worried about that. I'd like to make my request made known to you. Man, I want a growing church. Why? For your kingdom. Oh, I got my kingdom covered. Don't worry about it. Everything's good with the kingdom. So don't be worried about that. Yeah, I'm still worried. Why? Um, because I did this this week over this exact topic. And I began to begin to just, as God had my life up on racks with his thingamajigger and his whatever he has, right? He begins to say, well, no, 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 that's not the problem. The problem isn't a bigger church. What's the problem? What would happen if the church went down to 20 people? What what, what are you you scared of? What are you nervous about? And I verbalized to God, I have a fear of failure. I'm afraid of failing. I don't want to fail. I want to be really good at it. Now, let me ask you a question. Which is the better conclusion to come to? Is it better that God just goes, oh, dude, you want a big church? Bam, yay, here we go. Or is it better that God says, hmm, fear of failure? Well, let's talk about that. Let's go through that. See, here's the thing. When we bring stuff to God, just like when you bring it to your mechanic, cheap and fast, (laughs) right? You drive up, you drop the car off. You're like, dude, I don't want to hear about it. Just fix it and make it a dollar. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want you to tell me, you know, call me up. Don't you hate you? Drop it off. Well, we'll give you a phone call and you're like sitting there, beads of sweat and the phone rings and you're looking at it and you're like, I I don't have, I'm not, I can't even answer this right now. I can't deal with this right now. And you put them on voicemail and you're like, I won't even pick up the car. I don't even need a car. I don't even like my car. You're like, all this stuff, you got it. And and, and then they call and you're just like, you're just like, yeah. And they are on the other end of the phone. They're just like, yeah. You're like, God. 
dude, are your kids going to need braces again? I mean, what is going on? And we just want it. Just, dude, it's, so it's ready now, and it was a dollar and a box of Skittles. Be right over. Listen, God loves us too much for that. God loves us way too much for that. God wants us to go, you just verbalized, you have a fear of failure. This is fantastic because I'm near and now we're going to fix it because I'm right there. I haven't left you. I meet people, listen to this, listen to me, listen to me, it's super important. I meet people in their 60s that are still scared of what their parents might think about them. Nah. It's true. The first thing they think of, man, I don't want to lose my job. Oh, I don't want to lose my job. It's like, Lord, please don't let me lose my job. Please don't let me lose my job. And God's going, hey, let's, hold on one second. I hear that knocking sound. Let's, uh, your voice, let's get it up on racks and let's see what's going on. You don't want to lose your job. Why? Oh, because, um, you know, because my family. It's because of my family. I really care. I want to provide for my family. Really? Well, then you'll just get another job. Well, yeah, I know, but I might not get another job. Well, what are you worried about? I'm worried. Okay, I'll take it a little bit deeper. I'm worried about what people might think. Hmm, okay. You're worried about what people might think. So you're not worried about your job. You're worried about what people might think. Yeah. Well, who cares what people think? Well, the family's coming over for Christmas. (laughs) I'm afraid of what my parents might say. See, listen. Wouldn't you, I know it's hard, in the midst of it it's hard, but wouldn't you rather have a heavenly father that's willing to go lift the whole thing up and go, okay, we're going to have, it's going to be expensive. But when it's done, you're going to be golden. And you won't ever have to worry about that again. You don't ever have to be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Lord, thank you for all that I I have, we present our requests to God. God, I don't want to fail. I don't don't want, I don't, I want people to think well of me. I'm afraid that I might not amount to anything. Whatever. God is near. Now watch what happens. This is so cool. in the peace of God. Just like we can rejoice in the Lord, aren't you glad it's the peace of God and not the peace of circumstances? Which is so fleeting and so, I mean, so dependent. You know, it's so dependent. Did it go well for you today? Did you, how did you do in the presentation? When you did the presentation, did you get the, did you get the account? No. Oh, man. A piece of circumstances. Now here's the thing that's so frustrating about God. He doesn't worry about anything. Like he's so calm. And, and part of me is like, I wish he'd worry because if he worries, he'd do something, right? I mean, if, if I could get him to worry about something, he'd be like, oh man, because he's got all the resources. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills, which I don't know what you do with him now, but back in the day, that was a big deal. Uh, you know, he, uh, you know, you know, heaven has golden streets and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, cool, if we could get God worried about it, then he'd just be like, oh, and then, you know, and, and it's like, oh, good, you know, and God's not worried. But guess what? God's not worried. He's not worried about your marriage. He's not worried about your kids. 
He's not worried about your retirement. He's just not worried. He's a God of peace. Now, while we might want him to worry to do something, don't we want the kind of peace that doesn't worry about anything? See, that peace of God transcends all understanding. New American Standard says transcends all comprehension. You're never going to figure it out. And I'll bet you've experienced it before. I'll bet you've had a situation where you're like, oh man, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And you go before God and you're like, God, and you begin that process of going, I'm afraid to lose my job and then I'm afraid because I, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I'm afraid that if I lose my job, you're gonna abandon me and I won't have any money. I don't trust you. That's foolish. Of course I trust you, Lord. All the things you've done in my life, I can look back over all these things. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, <laughs> I have the peace of God. It makes no sense. My boss is still an idiot. <laughs> but I feel fantastic. Right? See, God loves us too much to just fix it. Now, sometimes he does. Sometimes we get the report back and it's a miracle. But God loves us too much to be dependent on those things. So he says it's a peace of God which surpasses all comprehension that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, this process is not easy. It's very difficult. I don't know if you've ever taken a car to a mechanic and they asked you to tell, like, you're like, it just makes this weird sound, and they say, describe the sound. And you're like, uh, okay. Yeah, like, 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 that doesn't make any, like, duh. Like, and then, you know, all the, someone's working on the car and they, like, look up, like, he's making them make sounds, man. You know, and they're all looking. And they're like, well, that doesn't sound right. Does it make another sound? You're like, yeah, I mean, yes, it does. And can I, like, send you an MP3 of it? Do I have to do it now? Well, it'll, it'll help us diagnose. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, and they're all laughing, all this guy. It's embarrassing. In the same way, it's embarrassing and it's difficult to verbalize, even to our Heavenly Father who's near and knows anyway, to say, I'm scared of, I, I think too much about myself. I don't think you're going to do anything. If my marriage fails, I think my whole life is going to crumble. I, you see what I'm saying? It's, it's hard. But this is how we present our requests to God. 